0: If I'm being honest, I'd rather be fucking. If I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is January the 31st. And as of today, we have 103,222,476 worldwide cases of COVID 19, with uh, 2,231,277 deaths. But I got a great show for you. That's right. In The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about supremacy being granted, not earned. In the Infernal Informant, here are all the executive orders President Joe Biden has signed so far. And, if I can get to it, Earth is about to lose its second moon forever. I didn't even know there was two! Alright, and the Creature feature, Leap of Faith, William Friedkin, On the Exorcist. This was an amazing documentary. If you haven't seen it, you've got to! What's wrong with you? (laughs) Get on it! Turn this off, go watch it, come back, and let's gush. Because it's gush-worthy. That's right. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. All right. What are you guys doing? What is this? Uh, tel- telsa. I hope you get a chance to watch it. This is going to be a good one. Gary, thanks for joining live. Tyler, how are you doing? William, what up? Dog, how you doing? Rod, hey. Jason, how you doing, man? Guitar greater. I hope that's because you instruct. Or maybe you're like a cute quality control at a manufacturer place. You'll have to explain later. Jessica, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. Wes, my man in Amsterdam. How you doing? Great to see you. Uh, Yeah. I'm a motherfucker. For sure. 100%. Uh, Zachary, what's up, man? Good to see you. Oh, Telsa, you here. (laughs) Good to see you. Lazarus, I'm glad you could rise for the show. All right, anyone else who wants to get on here, uh, if you have any questions or comments throughout the course of the conversation, put them up in the chat, and we will get to them. We got a lot to talk about. So this uh, this past week has been kind of dreary weather-wise. Then I wake up this morning, and it is pristine sky, not a cloud in sight, brilliant blue. As the sun starts rising, contrasted with the crisp white of the mountains. And I was like, I've got to go. I I want to be there. I want to go to there now. I want to be there now. so we did. Um, I actually don't have... I should have planned this. I don't have this planned. Let me throw something up here real quick. I just want to show you this image that I captured while I was hiking this morning. Because, I mean, (laughs) well, full size. It was absolutely stunning. So as we got up there, the sun just started to rise. And so we got into the uh, trailhead uh, just after nine o'clock in the morning. And then we started hiking up the mountain. And this was, the sun hadn't crested the ridgeline yet, as you can see. It was just the sort of morning glow. And everything was just caked in snow. And I live in the valley, and so there's no snow on the ground at all. But this is where I can escape to in like 15 minutes, and it was glorious. Oh my gosh, I had such a good time, so goddamn beautiful and brilliant. And it was cold, but it was worth it. The dogs absolutely adored it, as they always do. Love. I have a, <laughs> I have a husky wolf mix, and so he's like, she is like a shark in the snow. She just like dives through the banks of snow. It's really really crazy to watch. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty stunning. All right. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining, man. Good to see you, man. That's exactly what the ritual seemed like, right? I mean, minus the snow for when they were in it, but yeah, that was it. It's just trees, and there's actually other shots I should t- I should have brought to you, but it because it's winter, you know, all the the leaves and everything is stripped off, and so you have these aspens just lined up, like uh, like spikes from the earth or something. It's cr- like thorns of the earth. And it's just like this repetitive, endless ocean of aspen uh, branches and trunks. And it is, I mean, if you've got a horror mind like mine, it's terrifying and exciting. And it's just full of mystery and wonder. And it's just a bunch of fucking trees. But the truth is, is you can sort of lose yourself in the, the magical quality of it. You know what I mean? It was great, man. <laughs> All right, well, if, if that's, what, if that's what does it for you, man. All right, (laughs) that's really all I wanted to talk about. I went hiking and it was a good time. It's crazy though, because as cellular service expands across the mountain ranges, what used to be an escape to nature is now just a hike. And I get pings on my damn phone from like emails or messages or whatever. Like I have to put it on silent. And then I get like little buzzes. There's no escaping technology anymore. It's it's just spanning the whole goddamn globe. We have to reserve in the same way that most countries have nature reserves set off like whether it's a you know national forest or whatever it is, you, you like you cannot mess with. Like this we have to preserve this for human existence. Uh we should have that and like there's no cell reach within these boundaries as well. Like there can be no technology accessible outside of whatever personal contrivance. So that when you're actually in the zone, you're in it. Like you're lost in it. You can actually find yourself connecting with what your ancestors experienced. And that's bald ass nature with no hope of getting out alive unless you know what you're doing. We need zones like that. And they're just, and it sucks. Alright. I'm not going to rant about it. Yeah. I know, Zach. I, I forget, though. It's like I just forget. Alright, let's do this. Uh, devil's advocate. <laughs> To, I wanted to talk about this because I think it's um i hate using this word because you know it's it's I, I think it's a shortcut to thinking um traditionally but it is a bit of a slippery slope when you start um discovering satanism and you get this sense this air of superiority about you because let's be honest if you're actually effective at applying the religion to your life then you are in most cases, superior to most other human beings on the planet. And so it's easy to find yourself sort of caught up in that vibe. Uh, But then you have other asshats that jump on it, like white supremacists or bigots or general racists or sexists or whatever, you know, whatever it is, um, that sort of latch onto this idea of supremacy. They feel like because they were born, uh, I don't know, in America, or maybe because they're white, or maybe because they're male or you know whatever, the, whatever their own mind is telling them, they feel like they are better than others who are not what they are, and that they deserve something that others do not. And it drives me crazy because I've never in my life, and I've met many a white supremacist, I've never met one of them who is actually supremely talented and exceptional. Not one. And that tells me something. And it should tell them something. And yet. So, this concept of supremacy. Where does it come from? Why do some people latch on to it? And is it dangerous for Satanists? We're going to talk a little bit about some of that stuff uh, in this little segment I like to title. Supremacy is not granted. It's earned. You're not born with it. (laughs) Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Um, I guess that was she, right? Oops. All right, so what's the definition of supremacy? The state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, or status. Simply because I am means that others must be lower than. Essentially, is what it means. And I've never understood an ethnicity's position of being superior or superiority, sorry, superior over. Uh, any other ethnicity simply because they were born in X region or they identify with Y sexuality. It doesn't make sense on its face and it shouldn't make sense to any of you because it's nonsense. Um, and you can swap out any religion, gender, sexuality, etc. for this air superiority that some feel over others. Uh, and as Satanists, supremacy is not this granted. Aspect of existence simply because you were born or you identify with the religion. And that's something that I think is really, really dangerous for most Satanists. And most Satanists beyond first phase don't experience it. But certainly at first phase, I think it's very easy to fall into this little mind trap that you are better simply because you're a Satanist. And if you ever met a Satanist, well, chances are you realize that that's not true. (laughs) It's just not fucking true. There are too many coattail riders, there are too many wannabes, there are too many hangers-on, there's too many green-eyed hamsters, there are too many pretenders to actually consider Satanists as this group or subculture to be superior in any way to anyone else. But there are exceptions. And that's most Satanists who evolve out of that first phase that do objectively look at themselves and judge themselves accordingly and then correct faults that they find within themselves that they deem worth correcting. And then they strive for something greater than what they have at the moment, whatever that may be. That is superiority in Satanism. Um, and as Satanists, we require those we look up to to be able to deliver the goods, so to speak, right? If you are going to claim to be the best at X or Y, then you need to show it, you need to prove it. With a group that has lesser magic in their toolkit, we know how to manipulate people. So it's easier to spot a phony for us than most other humans out there that don't know anything about applied psychology. So if we spot a phony and you can't deliver on what you're promising, then we know that's exactly what you are. And you're not going to fool us, at least on paper. We are not inherently better than any other religious individual. We have an honest assessment of our strengths and faults, which prevents us from having an overblown ego or innate sense of superiority. And again, this is after first phase. And I want to sort of cordon off first phase Satanists from others, not because they're lesser or not as good as or whatever, because it's all the same. We're all Satanists. But it's because you're still learning. And that's why. You, you don't fully understand the complexities of applying Satanism to your life. And so you're really just bathing in the glory of this wonderful, you know, infernal religion. Which, no, I'm not shaming you for it. I'd love it. But that's all you're doing at this point, right? You need to then apply it. Um... Uh, this may not be present in every Satanist in their first phase, but is it? it is inevitable result of exposure and experience to life, objective reality, and self-assessment. You will ultimately come to a point where you realize that you are not the greatest thing since sliced bread simply because you identify as a Satanist and that your boss or your potential lovers or your family simply sees you for what you are and not what you see yourself to be. What you claim to be or, or aspire to be. It's stuff you have to work for, right? Uh, what can you do with the acknowledgement of being a Satanist? That's like the ultimate question, right? So you've identified as being a Satanist. Well, that's great. What are you going to do with it now? What is the next step? Because simply reading a book and seeing yourself in it, anyone can do that. Not everyone, okay, that's <laughs> um, that's flawed. Any Satanist can do that, right? You see yourself in the standard Bible. But now what? Now you have to do something with your life. Now there's an extra added burden that you didn't have before that compels you to do better. The power of Satan compels you to do better, to be a better version of you, to truly allow that flame inside of you To turn into a bonfire and ignite your drive in life. Uh, When I see white supremacists um, and they (laughs) front with their superiority or they talk shit about other ethnicities or, you know, any male chauvinist or or any, um, and this is very rare in my experience, but whenever you run into a feminist that is, like, overblown you know, like all men are the worst in the world, regardless. Anyone who paints with a broad brush, I, I just sort of laugh at them. You can't take them seriously. There's no possible way they take themselves seriously or dangerously. They take themselves way too seriously, um, and so it, they're they're just they're a joke. You know, they're an overblown caricature of a human being. They're not an actual human being. And so all you can do is laugh, right? And then I have a wolf's hook tattoo on my wrist. And every time a a, a white supremacist approaches me about my wolf's hook, because they also identify with that that iconography. Um, And they ask me, what do you use it for? And I just say, look, uh, I'm not a white supremacist. I'm an eye supremacist. I don't need to disparage mass groups or individuals in order to elevate myself. I am elevated simply because I act according to my nature, I do not deny what I actually am, and I strive to be the best goddamn version of myself. And inherently that makes me better than the person who tries to make themselves greater by stamping down on others or by claiming others are worse than them simply because of their ethnicity, region of nationality, religious identity, sexual or gender identity. That's a crutch. You can elevate yourself simply within yourself. You don't have to try to squash others in the process. And what ends up happening is you prove your superiority instead of just claiming it and there could be nothing more satanic than that proving how much better you are than others not by squashing them but by elevating yourself um all right so what do you guys have to say about this what do you think Uh, You can be born with certain societal advantages, but of course superiority is relative on an individual basis. Good point, Jonathan. And here's an actual excellent uh, exercise in uh, experience as you go out into the world. You're going to see people who are born with every advantage. (laughs) Traditionally, white males in Western civilizations. They are born with every possible advantage that every other individual does not have. And they still end up being shittier or of less quantifiable value through experience than others. That they're claiming to be lower than or less than. So you can witness this in the real world, any profession, you choose whatever profession you want, you will go there and you will witness people who have this air of privilege about them. And it goes beyond generations. I talk a lot of shit about millennials because let's be fair, you know, a decade and a half ago, we had pretty good reason to. But the fact is, is it's not just millennials. It's, it's every generation that does this. It's a human trait that you have to divorce yourself of. You have to cut off like a cancer. This the, this idea that the world owes you something simply because you exist or because society says that you are better than others because you were born in this region rather than some other region on a rock hurling through space. It's all made up bullshit. You can take two siblings of the same family in the same area and see that one is going to be inherently better than the other at some things, and vice versa for the other. Right? So this sense of excellence is relative, and is not all um, encompassing per uh, a gender or an ethnicity or a region of birth. Right? Uh, superiority is individual, not collective. Here, here, Rod, absolutely. Um, have you all noticed how much spotting a phony pisses people off, though? <laughs> it kind of does, but and I wonder sometimes, dog, is that because people get pissed off because they're afraid that they didn't spot it, or that's the grift that they're trying to cash in on as well? <laughs> like, are they mad because you spotted them, or are they mad because something's reflecting in that, you know? I find that an interesting thought experiment. Um, lying to others is easy. Trying, uh, lying to yourself is hard. A keen eye will see through both in an instant. See, Zachary, I want that to be true. Lying to others is easy. Yeah, in most cases, lying to yourself is hard. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I think for Satanists, you know, self-actualized or, or it's individuals working towards self-actualization, Satanists, it should be hard. In the best case scenario, it should be hard to lie to yourself, but I've seen too many overblown egos in my time to, to believe that, you know. And of course, you know, there are exceptions to every rule and stuff, so, you know, maybe you're right. Uh, we aren't broken. They are. They have rejected their primal human nature. No, that's absolutely true. Victor Wicked, what's up, man? Good to see you. Examine the established writings and employ them to your benefit in companion uh, with your instincts and wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's absolutely. That's, that's how you're going to do it. What better way to prove your superiority than standing outside with a flag? <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're doing it, man. That look, even with masks, <laughs> I wonder where they got that idea. Uh, anyway, so that's, this is what I'm, uh, you know, you, this seems just in my personal experience to be a growing trend in the past four years, <laughs> And I don't know if it's a growing trend or it's, it's more open. Like th- This type of individual feels more welcome being out in society than they did before. Uh, and so I see it. You can't help but comment on it when you see it, right? Because it's, it's just nonsense. And that's not to say that any one of these people that are doing stuff like this are not of substance or value, or superior in some way. But the fact that they're claiming to be that simply by existing, well, that just doesn't, doesn't work, it's just not true. And ironically, it's from people who don't believe in equality. And yet every white male should be superior to every other non-white male? Come on, all of us whites are equal. All of us whites with dicks are equal,
1: but all the other people,
0: ugh, <laughs> shut up, fucking phonies. This is the worst. It's, the, it's it's a shortcut to thinking, you don't have to try in life, I just am white male, so that's good enough. It allows you to, you know, the reason why I suck is not because of my lack of talent or exceptionalism or drive or experience or whatever, it's because other people are taking it away from me. Ugh. Get the fuck out of here. Prove it. Prove your superiority. And as Satanists, we should be doing that to ourselves. Proving it to yourself. Alright. That's actually all I had. Most people aren't very conscious of their selves anyway. Yeah, you're right, dude. You are right. When they lie to themselves, uh, it stems from a painful reality they're avoiding. Yeah. Yeah, and this is why I I don't see any problem with seeking therapy... Uh, Or just simply someone to talk to. Because we all, in our own ways, are messed up. And some much more severely than others. Sometimes it's because of, uh, you know, the environment that you were born. Sometimes, you know, you have abusive parents or abusive uh, individuals around you. Sometimes you just have a different chemistry. And you got to work a little bit harder. In no case is there an excuse that you shouldn't try harder. But that's why it's so important to be able to talk to someone if you need to. And to work through those emotions. Because ultimately that's what it takes. It takes fucking work. Alright. Uh, let's let's uh, let's do this next one. In full informant. switch out this image and we will rock and roll with some great discussion. I've been bitching about this topic for a long time. And I discovered that I am ignorant. I want to put that down here first because I want to have an open conversation about this. Because again, (laughs) I was ignorant. Uh, Okay. Here are the executive orders. President Joe Biden has signed so far. This is from USA today, but you can just go to the white house. Gov and figure this out too. January 20th, executive order rescinding Trump's one thousand, seven hundred and seventy-six commission, a panel Trump ex- established as a response to the New York Times sixteen nineteen project, a Pulitzer Prize-winning collection that focused on America's history with slavery. Uh, he revoked Trump's plan to exclude non-citizens from the census. Makes no sense. They're here. Admit it. Uh, he prohibited. Uh, workplace discrimination in a federal government based on sexual orientation and gender identity and directing federal agencies to ensure protections for LGBTQ people are included in an anti-discrimination statute. He created a COVID-19 response coordinator who will report directly to the president. He revoked Trump's 2017 interior enforcement. He Created, uh, which broadened the categories of undocumented immigrants subject for removal, restating the Secure Communities program and supported the federal 287G deport- deportation program. Uh, he launched a government wide initiative directing every federal agency to review its state of racial equity and deliver an action plan within 200 days to address any disparities in policies and programs. He extended the pause on student loan payments and nationwide restrictions on evictions and foreclosures. He created an equitable data working group to make sure federal data reflects the country's diverse makeup and direct the Office of Management and Budget to allocate more federal resources to underserved communities. He canceled the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline to move oil from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico, rescinding Trump's approval of a project long criticized by environmentalists. Uh, He proclaimed ending construction of his signature wall on the U.S.-Mexican border by proclaiming the immediate termination of the national emergency declaration Trump used to fund it. He proclaimed reversing Trump's ban on travel from predominantly Muslim countries. He declared a national day of unity on January 20th, 2021. A memorandum directing the Office of Management and Budget to make recommendations to modernize regulatory processes. A memorandum extending the deferred deportation of uh, Liberians through the end of June 2022. I actually thought it said uh, librarians for a second. A memorandum to strengthen uh, deferred action of childhood arrivals of certain undocumented immigrants who were brought to the U.S. as children. On January 21st, an executive order to identify supplies and accelerate the production of supplies needed to respond to the coronavirus pandemic, including the vaccines and personal protection equipment. He stated support for reopening schools, calling on the secretary of education to work with elementary and secondary schools on how to reopen and stay open. uh, executive order calling on the occupational safety and health administration to issue guidelines on covid-19 for workplaces and establishment of inf- uh, enforcement program for violations that put workers at risks uh, executive orders to require mask wearing on certain modes of transportation and for international travelers to the us to provide proof of a negative covid-19 test before Traveling it encourages acceleration of the production of treatments for the coronavirus and expansion of access to therapies. It, uh, order establishing a COVID 19 testing board to increase test supplies and bring manufacturing of tests to the U.S. Uh, Executive order directing the government to examine and prevent inequities in health care and services for communities of color and other marginalized groups, establishing within Health and Human Services a COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force. Uh, An order enhancing data collection and sharing amongst government agencies to strengthen public health infrastructure. A memorandum directing FEMA to cover states' costs for the National Guard to assist in pandemic response. On January 22, Executive Order restoring collective bargaining power of federal employee, employees and directing the Office of Personal Management to provide recommendations for achieving a $15 minimum wage for federal workers. Executive Order promoting assistance for federal agencies to individuals, families, and small businesses amid the COVID-19 pandemic. On January 25th, Executive Order reversing Trump's administration policy to ban transgender people from serving in the military. Why, if you hate transgenders, would you ban them from serving in the military? Let's just say you're a bigot and you hate people. This is the one chance that they're going to get, like, removed from the population. (laughs) I know that's a shitty way to look at it. But it's true. Like, you go to nonsense wars, you get killed. Who do you want killed? The people you like or the people you don't like? So this ban on people that you don't like to serve in the military never made sense to me at all. On the other hand, I'm a veteran, and I think anyone who wants to serve this country should be avail- able, in some capacity, to serve this country. But that little addendum there, because I don't think everyone's capable of handling the stress of combat, or any general stressful scenario. You know, there's a lot of different jobs in the military that you can serve under, and uh, not everyone's suited for all of them. So testing will put you hopefully in the right place, but everyone who wants to should be able to serve. The fact that you would stop someone from being able to is nonsensical. It's stupid. Fuck those people, man. Uh, An executive order committing to investing in American companies and closing loopholes that allow companies to offshore production and jobs while still qualifying for domestic preferences. Proclamation to suspend the entry of non-citizens to the U.S., who will present in certain regions in the 14 days prior to their attempted entry, including the Schengen area, the United Kingdom, excluding overseas territories outside of Europe, the Republic of Ireland, the Federal Republic of Brazil, and the Republic of South Africa. On January 26th, Executive order directing the phase-out of private prisons by not renewing contracts from the Department of Justice. The order does not apply to other federal agencies, such as the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement." This is huge! And I don't know if you guys caught this. We're gonna end private prisons. That's fucking huge! There is a profit motive in this country to imprison its citizens. Corporations run prisons which means they have to turn a profit for their investors, which means they need more prisoners. And so they incorporate police forces to gather those prisoners, to put them in prison, to then make money off the government and increase their profits year over year. It's insane that it was ever a thing. But it's ending. That's fucking huge. Huge. I mean, if he does nothing else, you gotta fucking give it up for that. That is awesome. All right, memorandum condemning racism and xenophobia against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in response to the coronavirus pandemic and instructing the Department of Health and Human Services to consider best practices to mitigate language and the guidance that could further uh, racism. Memorandum directing agencies to mitigate racial bias in federal housing policies and a memorandum uh, recommitting the government to respectful tribal sovereignty. Uh, Too little, too late. I mean, being honest. January 27, executive order elevating climate change as a national security concern and committing to the goal of uh, conservation goals. It's about goddamn time. Uh, An order establishing the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology Fucking science is back in the White House. January 28, executive order to strengthen the Affordable Care Act and Medicaid by directing agencies to review any policies that may hinder access to the ACA and recommending the opening of a three month enrollment period for uninsured Americans. That's huge too. There are massive problems with the ACA, but some people rely on it as their only available form of health care. And in those cases, if you just simply don't have access to it anymore, you have no options so this is huge for that demographic of people a memorandum reversing oh did i skip over something no uh so reversing the trump's administration's mexico city policy that blocked funding to groups that include abortion services or information in their family planning programs and suggesting the reconsideration of policies that impose undue restrictions on the use of federal funds or women's access to complete medical information that's huge as well Uh, That was on January 28th. So um, all in all, my complaint about executive orders is that it's the president bypassing Congress, justifiably or not in some situations, in order to enact his um, policy that he ran on, right? Ultimately, these should be laws. It should not be something that an executive order can override from president to president. And so I looked into executive orders and I looked into their history and I wanted to educate myself on, it seems, uh, an abuse of this idea of executive orders. And what I discovered was that I was full of shit. There's no abuse of executive orders. It's actually a normal fucking thing that presidents have been doing since George Washington, our first fucking president. I didn't know that, but it's true. Uh, Okay, so, although, I'll be fair, George Washington, in his uh, seven, almost eight years in office, only made eight executive orders. Um, So let's look at recent history, right? In his one term, Donald J. Trump, our last president, had 220 Executive orders in four years. Uh, his predecessor, President Barack Obama, only had 147 in his first year, uh, first term, and in his second term, he only had 129. So Trump nearly doubled, you know, in the single year or single term reference of what Obama did in executive orders, which is crazy because he had a Republican-controlled Senate. Now, I understand the House is under Democratic control and laws have to go through the House. So it's not like it's a fair thing, you know, but again, it was the same case with uh, Obama. So apples to apples. If you want to talk about abuse, well, it was Trump. You want to talk about Joseph Biden? I just read you 25, just 25. That's it. So as much as you see this rush of executive orders coming down to undo the executive orders that Trump put in place, I mean, he still has almost 200, 195 executive orders that have not been rescinded yet by Biden. Uh, and I don't think all of them will be. I think, And I don't even think all of them are bad. I mean, just the fact the numbers speak for themselves. Um, George Bush, George W, W, the stupidest president we've ever had in uh, recent American history. In his first term, 173. On par with Obama almost. I mean, a little bit more, but not much. In his second term, 118. Still under what Trump did in his first term, but still not that much. George Bush, senior, had 166 in his term as president. William J. Clinton in his first year had 200 in his second, uh, first year, I first term, second term, 164. So if you want to talk about abuse of executive orders in recent history, we haven't seen it yet. Uh, Ronald Reagan. 213 his first term 168 in his second term you want to go back to real abuses harry s truman 907 executive orders in his two terms 907 you want to go to the guy before him franklin d roosevelt 3721 executive orders in his approximate 12 years of presidency That's right, he's the one that made it so it's a four-term presidency and a max of eight term. Amazing, right? Amazing. So we have to temper our fury when we're reacting to executive orders, whether you like them or not, over legislation. Because it's a normal thing that presidents do, and there is precedent for it being abused much more than any of the more recent history presidents have ever done. So we need to... You need to just chill the fuck out on the executive order thing. I myself need to chill the fuck out because it's not taking over the job of Congress. It's actually a normal process that they're just going through that has been in the president's control from the beginning. That's the truth of it. It's amazing. All right. All right. Let's see here. Um, military members are allotted as heroes. Bigots won't allow transhumans to be elevated that way. Yeah, that's a good point, Um, Victor. Absolutely. See what else we got. Uh, A lot of places have contracts saying that they will keep prisons filled at a certain level. Yeah, that's the problem. That's why we cannot fund them anymore. We have to let them die out. We gotta get people out of them. I think you're absolutely right on that, dog. That's why we don't see more drug legalization because it's a it's there's a profit motive to keep it illegal so that you can put people in jail and then make actual money it's crazy um, I don't want your child you don't want your child to attend an overpopulated prison <laughs> Yeah, I would hope not that would be terrible <laughs> uh, what's up Malcolm Wade how you doing man thanks for joining live uh, W Dumber over Trump yes W was so stupid he actually could not speak <laughs> without tripping over himself. And I know Trump does the same thing, but to a very lesser degree. W could not read a prompter. Trump, if he chooses to, could read a prompter. W had to rely on Cheney to run the nation. Trump, he had an off like an open like a a rotating, lazy Susan door of people coming in and out. So, Whatever you say, good or bad, he owned that administration, and like he, you know, for as poorly as it is, that was his baby. W did not run the administration for the for or for the two terms he was in it. Cheney ran it, and that's why I think, and for the the fact that we're still suffering for what W did uh, if from now the third president since, and Trump will be a fart in the wind after this president so you know everything he's done will be undone in this first term so that's why i think w was much stupider and had much more of an impact on this country than trump could ever dream um he was just (laughs) he was a monster dude he w I, i hate it when people try to fucking pretend that w was not as bad as he was he enabled corporate america to seize control of america more than reagan ever did in his senility and that's saying something because reagan holy fuck he fucking hand delivered america to corporate interest all right so i'm not going to jump on that soapbox i've already done that a million times um so i always find interesting reacting in the hype of the moment to popular media media hyping this idea of executive orders being a presidential overreach, depending on who's in power, then you'll see the corresponding opposites complaining about it. And the truth is, there's nothing abnormal about it. And there's nothing abnormal about the numbers that we're seeing. It's actually under the average that presidents use in recent modern history. So for what it's worth, let's all just simmer down a little bit Enjoy the fact that we're not going to be poisoning our environment uh, as a federal government discriminating on uh, gender or sex preference, gender identity or sex preference. And, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, we can uh, make the public more educated and healthy. That would be a nice start, I think. For any country, but certainly as Americans, we need it because we are stupid as fuck and unhealthy as fuck. <laughs> we're, we're terrible. Terrible. Merca's terrible. All right, let's do this next one. Uh let me just say really quick as I'm I'm shuffling images here. I'm um, I'm not going to have my chat room turn into a a, a personal promotion machine. So If you want people to discover your content, or you want people to find value in what you do, there are ways to do it outside of my YouTube channel. And if you continue to promote your shit, I will ban your ass. So respect for trying to grift, but stop. All right. Um, Let's see here. This. Earth is about to lose its second moon forever. This is from Space.com. Earth's second moon will make a close approach to the planet next week before drifting off into space, never to be seen again. What second moon, you ask? Well, astronomers call it 2020SO, a small object that dropped into Earth's orbit about halfway between our planet and the moon in September 2020. Temporary satellites like these are known as mini-moons, though uh, calling it a moon is a bit deceptive in this case. In December 2020, NASA researchers learned that the object isn't a space rock after all, but rather the remains of a 1960s rocket booster involved in the American Surveyor moon missions. This non-moon mini-moon made its closest approach to Earth on December 1st, the day before NASA identified it as the long-lost booster but it's coming back for one more victory lap, according to EarthSky.org. Minimoon 2020SO will make a final approach to Earth on Tuesday, February 2nd, at roughly 140,000 miles, or 220,000 kilometers, from Earth, or 58% of the way between Earth and the Moon. The booster will drift away after that, leaving Earth's orbit entirely by March 2021, according to EarthSky. After that, the former mini-moon will be just another object orbiting the Sun. The Virtual Telescope Project in Rome will host an online farewell to the object on the night of February 1st. NASA learned that the object has made several close approaches to Earth over the decades, even coming relatively near in 1966, a year that the agency launched its Surveyor 2 lunar probe on the back of a Centaur rocket booster. That gave scientists their first big clue that 2020SO was man-made. They confirmed it after Comparing the object's chemical makeup with that of another rocket booster, which has been in orbit since 1971. Godspeed, Mini Moon 2020 SO. We built you, we abandoned you, and now you abandon us. <laughs> I just, I mean, how can you not like this stuff? I fucking love space. Uh, I just think this is great. We see this object rotating around our planet. We immediately recognized it as a moon, because that's what moons do. They are foreign objects that rotate around a larger object. And then we realized, oh shit, we made that. (laughs) That's no moon. (laughs) That's a battle station. No, that's a rocket booster. I thought that was great. And then it spurred a thought in my head, because I've been told since I was a youth, (laughs) since I was a youth, that uh, our moon is leaving our system. It's it's getting further and further away from us. And so I looked a little bit into that because I just think it's interesting. So what happens as the moon moves away from the Earth? So this is from publicnrao.edu. Here's the question. The Earth's moon is moving away from the Earth by a few centimeters a year. Will it break free of Earth's gravitational influence before our sun turns into a red giant and fries the inner planets of our solar system? Purely a hypothetical question. If the moon was to break away from the gravitational pull of the Earth now, would it be drawn into its own orbit around the sun or get drawn into the sun or get flung out into the solar system altogether? Asks David. And here's the answer from Jeff Mangum. Lesser ranging measurements of the change in the distance from the Earth to the moon tell us that the moon is moving away from the Earth at a rate of about 3.78 centimeters per year. Calculations of the evolution of the Earth-Moon system tell us that with this rate of separation, that in about 15 billion years, the Moon will stop moving away from the Earth. Now, our Sun is expected to enter its red giant phase in about six to seven billion years. So the answer to your first question is that the Sun will engulf the inner planets as its outer layers expand during the red giant phase before the Moon will stop moving away from the Earth. As to your second question, the fate of the Moon after being extracted from its orbit around the Earth depends upon exactly what the mechanism was that caused it to be removed from the Earth-Moon system. In general, though, he suspects that if the Moon broke away from the Earth, it would end up being drawn into the Sun, not rotating around it. And this is amazing to me, because We're so hung up on what's so close to us. The moon, like, oh, the moon's moving away from us. How's it going to affect our tidal forces? What's going to happen with the other? It doesn't matter. Before it even gets close to leaving or stopping uh, leaving our orbit, the sun's going to swallow us whole anyway. (laughs) So who cares? So we're complaining about a bee sting. Meanwhile, there's a guy with your gun to your head ready to pull the trigger. WHO CARES ABOUT THE BEASTING?! WE'RE GONNA BE BURNED ALIVE BY OUR OWN SUN! (laughs) It's awesome! Fuck our love space, man! I just thought that was cool. Kinda neat. What do you guys think? (laughs) Alright, let's see, uh... There's a (laughs) mini-moon. Not at all space trash, which we should see, too. Yeah, we got a problem with that. We need Superman to, like, collect up all the space trash and just fling it into the sun. Wasn't that... Wasn't that in, like a Superman movie that was made? We need that to happen. Oh, he did that with nuclear weapons. That's right. Well, we need to do it with a space trash. It's like a real problem up there. It's crazy. When you have people, when you have tech giants like Elon Musk complaining about space junk, you know it's a problem. And why hasn't NASA complained about it loud enough yet? That should be like uh, on billboards as people drive by. Space junk will fall on your face. <laughs> Save your children. Get rid of space junk today. You know, some sort of, you know, patriotic message like that. <laughs> yeah, for, for all, uh, uh, you mean basic ideas like understanding that seasons have to do with axis, not how close the Earth is to the sun. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the thing is, is it's not just, it's not just the axis in which this, the, the, the Earth is spinning on and how it revolves around the microphone, which is the sun in this particular case, right? But it's also the wobble in the Earth as it spins, as it hurls millions of miles uh, in speed around the sun. That blows my mind. Gravity is uh, pretty awesome. (laughs) Because if it wasn't, we would be flung off this planet like uh, nothing. Just like within a second, we'd be screwed. When you stop and think about... it's easy, when you look at the science, to understand why religious people are really blown away um, and believe that, that this planet was created by a god. Because all of the factors that have to go into just life existing in bacterial form on this rock have to be perfect, <laughs> like, fucking perfect, in order for it to just exist, right? And if one thing is wrong, we end up like Venus or we end up like Mars. I, like, we're, we're a, a, a colossal heat. I um, uh, can't even think of what it's called. Um, a runaway. Uh, I can't think of the goddamn word. Uh, it's where light is being reflected off of the atmosphere because there's so many particles in the air. I can't think of the goddamn word. I hope you guys can say it in the chat room to save me. Or, we don't have a strong enough, um, gravitational core that creates the atmosphere around us with the magnetic field to redirect, uh, the, uh, the waves of, uh, um, wow. Just call me Neil deGrasse Tyson, because clearly I'm articulate as fuck when it comes to this stuff. Um, The the radiation from the sun, radiation waves, uh, being redirected around us because of the gravitational forces of our molten iron core protecting us. We'd end up like Mars, our entire atmosphere being blasted away by that radiation from the sun, pounding it constantly. So... Um, Runaway. Greenhouse effects. Sweet health. Thank you, dog. You're the best. Oh my gosh, that killed me. Holy shit. And thank you, Zachary, for the solar radiation. (sighs) Stupid. (laughs) But, anyway, I love this stuff even if I can't remember it when I'm put on the spot. And it was even a choice. Like, I jumped in. It it was like, people were playing double dutch. I was like, whoa, step back. I got this. I got this. Start jumping in and just get all tangled up. That's what just happened verbally. All right. Base. Alright, let's do a creature feature so I can uh, not embarrass myself anymore. stupidest scientist ever, the Reverend Doctor Neil Adam Campbell. <laughs> he failed every course. Doesn't know what he talks. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's, just, it's gonna get worse. I'm just gonna stop. All right, let's talk about Leap of Faith. William Friedkin on The Exorcist. This is on Shudder right now. So if you have Shudder, it's like five bucks a month or something like that. It, and it's just nothing but horror films. But it also has this amazing documentary. Uh, So the logline is this. A lyrical and spiritual cinematic essay on The Exorcist. Leap of Faith explores the uncharted depths of William Friedkin's mind's eye, the nuances of his filmmaking process, and the mysteries of faith and fate that have shaped his life and filmography as told by the man himself. The film marks the sixth feature documentary for Alexander O. Felipe, uh, 7852, Memory, The Origins of Alien, continuing his thoughtful analysis of iconic genre films this is truly a brilliant documentary it's just focused on the director talking about the exorcist the film that he put together and in in such brilliant artistic terms as describing why he made narrative decisions that he made that were slightly different from the novel, or insisted on maintaining uh, aspects of the novel that no one wanted in the screenplay at all. Um, But because of his artistic expression, he felt it needed it. And you cannot watch the film The Exorcist and say that he was wrong with any decision he ever made. I think the entire film is amazing. Even... The remastered version, which included some kind of hokey makeup stuff, like, you know, kind of Evil Dead type makeup inclusions of the demon itself, Pazuzu. Um, even that is brilliant. Because it adds on to itself. So it's not just a horror film. It's a film about a mother and a daughter trying to make their way in in, in, in this insane, you know, world of uh, divorced life and a mother not understanding how to care for her daughter who has different needs than she's able to meet, reaching out to a medical profession that simply does not have answers, reaching out to a religious institution that simply does not want and cannot truly deal with the fucking problem, and then the complexities of the girl herself, and then every tertiary character built around this insanity of a moment, adding flair and color where you don't need it, but you're goddamn glad it's there. I mean, this is a perfect horror film in every single way, The Exorcist. And just listen to William talk about it truly from an artistic perspective, like creative decision-making perspective, where his influences inspired him to make choices and later witness those. He had entire sound uh, um, soundtracks created that he never used because it just wasn't good enough. This is a discerning filmmaker who makes tough decisions that the studios didn't want and that the actual man who wrote the novel did not want. And it paid off in spades. So, so good. All right. So IMDb gives us a 7.6 out of 10, which is a travesty in my opinion, because I I was genuinely like brought to the edge of my seat in this. It was so, it was really that good. It made me question Every artistic choice I make on a day-to-day basis in my profession, in which is advertising, it just blows my mind. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gives it ninety-two percent certified fresh with an eighty-two percent audience score, which again I think should be close to that ninety-two. Um, and I thought I found this really great user review that I thought encapsulated what this documentary truly delivered better than I could deliver it, uh, so I wanted to read it. So the the headline of this review is excellent, informative, eye-opening, revealing, educational, historical doc on a film masterpiece. And this is what uh, Blandburn, the person who wrote it, said. Anyone that's ever watched 1973's The Exorcist knows clearly it's one of the best movies ever made and much has been said and discussed about it with thoughts, theories, and influences. This latest Shudder exclusive doc, filmed in 2019, is an excellent spot-on must-see for any film historian buff or fan of the film. Interviews are given with the director, William Friedkin, shown as clips and old behind-the-scenes film footage of the movie and other works and liked films of William. Plus, he gives insights and revealing information that much of the public never knew the way he made the film, And he even mentions his differences with writer William Peter Blatty. Also, he mentions how other films and cultural influences uh, his making. This is weird. And cultural and culture influenced his making. Plus, he talks of how fate and faith was all wrapped up in the outcome and success of the film. The art world and past radio works even helped influence the score of the film. Overall, really packed with much info from William, a must watch for any film or popular culture or bluff, as it sheds sheds light on uh, one of the greatest movies ever made. And what it it forced me to do was um, revisit this discussion I had with one of my interns. Um, We were just making some changes on an ad, and she was making some poor decisions. Uh, Poor for the client, not poor in design to speak. And so I wanted to sit her down and I wanted to talk to her about what it means to be an artist. Because being an artist is not tied to a specific medium, right? You have painters and you have filmmakers and you have musicians and you have uh, designers. The truth is, is an artist may specialize in a medium, but they're capable and certainly the instincts of an artist break the bounds of whatever medium they're working on. So as a print designer, I, I cut my teeth on package design and then I went into traditional advertising. I can break the boundary into film and video work Simply because I'm using the, my artist's eye to inform the decisions I'm making. I'm not trying to copy someone else. It, you know Whether you like what I do or not, it doesn't really matter to me. The point is, is I'm relying on my artist instincts to create what I am creating. And it doesn't matter whether it's a video that I'm creating or a, a brochure for a client or a fucking billboard for that matter. I'm still making artistic decisions that are inspired by everything from popular culture to the music I listen to, uh, to what I'm wearing in that individual moment, or just simply witnessing a a leaf, uh, casting a shadow and playing that shadow on the ground as it dances can inspire an idea in the artist's mind that would not have been there seconds before. And to listen to a filmmaker talk about this And and me reflecting on having that same conversation with um, with someone just a couple years before kind of blew my mind. Because I, I genuinely think the best artists don't care about medium. They just want to convey the message. And whatever moment requires the medium, they're able to rise to the occasion and meet right? Medium be damned. And that is really important to understand. So if you consider yourself an artist, but you can only, I don't know, make sketches, or maybe you can only, you know, create ceramic pots, you're either shortcutting yourself or you're not really a fucking artist. You need to challenge yourself to break out of what you're comfortable with. Because that's where true inspiration can spring. And that's where you're really going to test how actually talented you are and creative. Or maybe you just happen to be good at one thing. And you're just not really an artist after all. In either case, this movie provoked so much thought and consideration. I mean, he he was talking about... Feng Shui and Zen Gardens. And he was reflecting on these moments when making the greatest horror film of all time, The Exorcist. To, to marry Feng Shui meditation gardens with insane uh, um, possession storytelling and actually have the connective tissue be witnessed as he's explaining it, it's amazing. It's it's like a masterclass for free. (laughs) You can't ask for anything better than that. I highly recommend this for anyone, anyone at all, because if it doesn't inspire you, I think you might have something wrong with you. I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. There might be something wrong with you, so check it out. Uh, it's called Le- Leap of Faith. Uh, William Friedkin on uh, The Exorcist. I hope I'm saying his name right. It, if I'm being honest, it's been it's been almost like a month since I watched it. And so I'm sort of reflecting on memory. But uh, I think I'm pretty good. All right. Great artists do not compromise. Yeah, that's true. Designers do. <laughs> we have to do ultimately what we're being paid to do by the client. So sometimes we have to make bad decisions for them because they insist which sucks but that's the difference designers are meant to communicate message artists are meant to create honesty and experience you know whatever that means as an artist you completely agree jason hey good good hellraiser should get this treatment too (sighs) yeah i'm interested to see what happens with the reboot because i think last i heard it was barker doing the reboot and he was heavily involved, like uh, uh, to the point of like directing the original. And so, to see his growth and change over the years, and now having more studio freedom, if it ever actually happens, seeing where that goes. I got a a, a tin, um, it's like a tin container version of Exorcist one and two. Or Exorcist, I'm sorry, of Hellraiser one and two, which was like a Clive Barker exclusive thing that he released uh, years and years and years ago. Um, which is amazing because it has a bunch of documentary footage and it has a bunch of interviews about the making of the two films and how anything outside of the two films is kind of nonsensical because the two films were the entirety of the story. Like That that was all that was originally intended. The reasons why others were made was because of studio influence. <clears throat> it all comes down to the Skrilla. So it was very interesting. Um, but I think... Um, I think the reason why The Exorcist connects so much more for most people than Hellraiser is because of the direct influence of the Abrahamic religion and how prevalent the Abrahamic religions are across the entire globe, you know, from Muslims to Jews to Christians and all of the varieties of each that spans the globe more than anything else. And so, you know, and, and, you know, not for good reasons, but because they murdered and killed everyone else. Or they swallowed them up like the Borg and you know, sort of uh, stole their, their histories and rewrote them. So we're forced to live in this weird universe that celebrates this weird tradition of religion that films that come out of that or are heavily leaning into or influenced by it are going to resonate more in the collective conscious of the world than others, like Hellraiser. And even though Hellraiser did lean into with, like, you know, Hellraiser 2, the literal hell and the labyrinth of hell and stuff like that, I feel like it was still more of a cosmic experience. Certainly more cosmic than, say, The Exorcist. So that's what I think about that. I do love me some Hellraiser, though. (laughs) Love it. Absolutely love it. Barker on HBO Max. Is that where it's going to be? Oh, I will totally resubscribe to that. For sure, death cultists are strong in this area. <laughs> yeah, this area being Earth. <laughs> yeah, they are. That's all I had for today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I'm over an hour already. Um, hope you had a good time. I really like this time we get together from time to time. You know, I mean, it. it not every episode is great. Not every episode is worth tuning into. T- uh, tuning into. I get that. You know, sometimes you just gotta shit the bed on an episode. I do have to say, the next episode I do, it's going to be a little bit different. And you want to know what? It's my 10 year anniversary. 10 years of creating satanic content is next episode. So what I'm going to do is take a look back at the very first nine cents and sort of uh, reflect. Did I learn anything new? How this, I'm going to celebrate the the evolution of the podcast over the years. I'm not going to have guests or anything like that because that, that becomes a huge pain in the ass. So I'm just going to, you know, talk about the, (laughs) the, I hate that word, the journey. I'm going to talk about the journey of creating satanic content for 10 years. What it was like for me, what are some of the highlights? So that's the type of show you're going to get next week. And if you don't care about that type of stuff, I'm not going to fault you for it. Don't tune into it. If you do, I hope to see you in the chat and we can, we can have some fun reflecting a little bit. <laughs> Should be a, a fairly good time. Thanks again, everyone. I appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this episode of Nine Cents. I hope you enjoyed it. You can view past episodes of my Satanic series on reverendcampbell.com. And if you appreciate the Satanic content I do produce, like this video, subscribe to the channel and sign up to the email list. If you'd like to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com and read the Satanic Bible. It's going to do you good. (laughs) Does the body good. Pass it on. Until next time. Until next week. Hail Satan.